Dr. Howard, Dr. Fine, Dr. Howard. It's occasionally argued that when one is engaged in film criticism, that there are basically two questions that one should ask while um, deconstructing whether or not a film works. Uh, the first one is, what do you think this movie is going for? And the second one is, do you think the film accomplished this? And obviously, these are very subjective questions to ask. That being said, when the film in question is a comedy, the two questions become both more simple and more complex. Obviously, a comedy is trying to make you laugh, and whether it actually accomplishes this almost always says more about you than the film itself, which, once again, applies to criticism in general, but it comes particularly pointed when it comes to comedy. I feel I have a hard time telling you what you have the right to find funny. Which makes doing an episode on a comedy fairly complicated. And while I've done films that have jokes before, this is the first one where I'm doing an out-and-out -out comedy. And I decided to do the uh, 1980 classic Airplane. My name is Ryan. This is a real deep dive. Joining me once again is uh, my roommate Rachel. Hello, Rachel. Hi, everybody. Yeah, I'm back for the fourth time. I think it's a record. I'm the most. I have the most appearances. Oh, after you, of course. Yeah, I mean, you're you're down the hall. You, yeah, I live here. Yeah, we're, we're also doing this episode in the midst of, of the coronavirus quarantine, so my, my pool of guests is a bit limited at the moment. Yeah, and the cats don't really talk, so it's just me. <laughs> All right, uh, not that it especially matters for a movie like Airplane, but let's get the plot out of the way before we start talking about it. There is actually a plot in Airplane. It's not just uh, jokes, jokes and jokes. Although we will be getting to the jokes and jokes and jokes. Yeah. All right, uh, the focal character and our main protagonist is ex-fighter pilot uh, Ted Stryker. He's a traumatized war veteran who's a cab driver when the film opens. His wartime girlfriend, Elaine Dickinson, is now a flight attendant, and she's leaving him because of his fear of flying and also his drinking problem. He isn't actually a drunk. He can't properly drink. He just splashes the liquid against his face. This is the type of gag that this film loves to go to. And uh, yeah, we will be getting into that because there's a lot of things like that. Anyway, Ted wants to win Elaine back, so he gets on the flight to Chicago, and that isn't enough. She just keeps rejecting him. Things take a turn when everyone who has fish on the in-flight meal falls dangerously ill. This includes the flight crew, and this is discovered by Dr. Rumack. Leslie Nielsen! We will be talking about how this basically changed Leslie Nielsen's life forever. <laughs> Elaine contacts uh, the Chicago Control Tower for help. Uh, she is answered by Steve, who's played by uh, Lloyd Bridges, and she is instructed to activate the autopilot. Now, this is an inflatable pilot named Otto. Uh, he seems kind of like a bowling pin with arms. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> once again, this is just par for the course. Now, uh, this autopilot will get the crew to Chicago, but it won't land the plane. This is a very 1980 thing. The autopilot in most modern commercial airliners will have some kind of plane landing uh, capacity. Uh, this is pointed out in the uh, Mythbusters episode of Airplane. Who They found that Airplane is surprisingly plausible. I, I believe it. I mean, Airplane is pretty fun to watch. And then just realize how dated it is when it comes to airport procedures because it's 1980. And anyone can just walk onto the tarmac and get on the airplane. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that seems very quaint in the 20 years since 9-11. Oh, yeah. 
Okay, eventually uh, we find out that Ted is the only man on board who can properly land the airplane. Dr. Rumack and Elaine convince uh, Ted to try, although he's very reluctant. Steve down in uh, the Chicago Control Tower convinces Ted Kramer to come on and talk Ted down. Now, Rex is a commercial airline safety flight guy uh, nowadays, but he used to be uh, Ted's commanding officer. Therefore, once Kramer starts talking to him, Ted gets flashbacks from uh, from the instruction, and that leads him to abandon his post. Elaine and Dr. Rumack have to talk him into coming back. And then we get to the climax of the film. The plane experiences some rough weather, but Ted is able to safely land it anyways, despite the fact that uh, the landing gears get sheared off. Elaine and Ted uh, rekindle their relationship, and uh, Otto takes off with an inflatable uh, flight attendant to be his companion. <laughs> End of film. I, I, just, I just described the entire movie, but absolutely nothing that I said evinced, like, why anyone would want to see it. Yeah, I mean, Airplane is, is for the jokes, the never-ending jokes. So I had never seen Airplane before until uh, Ryan had me watch it. I mean, I have adored uh, Leslie Nielsen as a comedic actor since, well, I watched him in Mr. Magoo when I was a kid, and why that movie probably wouldn't be very good if I were to watch it now. You know, it endeared Leslie Nielsen to me. That and he plays the moronic president, haha, uh -huh, in uh, Scary Movie 3 and 4, where he steals every scene he is in. And it's hard to not look at his face and just fall in love with that man. He's just wonderful. I know. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the production of this film. Uh, Airplane was written and directed by Jerry Zucker, Jim Abrahams, and David Zucker, who often produced together under um, the Zucker-Abrahams-Zucker moniker, sometimes shortened to Zaz. They started off working in an improv troupe. Very clearly, they, were, they started off in improv. I think that's just colored in every frame of this film. Mm -hmm. They called themselves the Kentucky Fried Theater. Now, uh, in order to drum up material for their uh, ongoing act, they would tape record late night commercials. But uh, one night they accidentally uh, recorded the 1957 film Zero Hour. This was a uh, airplane in peril type disaster film from that era. And they seemed to just become obsessed with it for some reason. They thought it was like the perfectly paced film. Just graceful three-act structure, perfect in every way. So they decided to write a parody film. However, they lifted so much dialogue from Zero Hour that they weren't sure if uh, what they did could legally be con considered a parody. So they secured remake rights for about 2500 um, <laughs> I mean, that is a $1975, but it's probably still not that much. I mean, it's a largely... $1,000? Yeah, maybe. And it's a largely forgotten disaster film from 1957, even, even then. Well, it's kind of like how everyone remembers Dr. Strangelove, but there was a serious movie with Peter Fonda. Now, what's the name of it again? Uh, Failsafe. Failsafe, which I have seen. It's okay, but it's nowhere near as interesting or as good as Dr. Strangelove. Although, it, it got a Criterion edition recently. Both it and Dr. Strangelove have Criterion editions. Yeah, but people will continue to watch Dr. Strangelove, uh, one of the zero... Ah, I keep forgetting the name of it. Failsafe. Failsafe, yeah, that one. I mean, everyone's going to kind of just know that that's the serious version of Dr. Strangelove, and it's not as fun. I mean, obviously. it's the it's the director's follow-up to 12 Angry Men, which, yeah, is a much more important film. But yeah. we're, we're digressing hard. Oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> all right, all right, yeah, back on schedule. <laughs> 
Okay, so they finished the script uh, for Airplane. This is the th episode we're doing in 1975, but they weren't able to sell it. However, they did eventually get to do a film. Uh, it was it came out in 1977. It was independently financed. It was called Kentucky Fried Movie after the theater group, and it was kind of just a, a loose assortment of dumb, gross-out sketches. It's not a bad film if you track it down. Very much a product of its time. Very much playing off the Monty Python Saturday Night Live type of vibe. Uh, <laughs> Leslie Nielsen has a minor cameo in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, if you're um, if you're obsessed with Zazz, yeah, you got to do Kentucky Fried Movie at some point. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I guess it's skippable. Otherwise, anyways, uh, Zazz, they decided to cast actors with no comedy experience. And they told them to give, like, deadpan, soap opera-style delivery. Oh, Chad, but you have to fly the plane. Yeah, I think that's one of the film's core strengths, is just that everyone in the movie seems to be oblivious to how absurd everything going on is. But that's why it works, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it was a whole bunch of people winking at the camera and just mugging after delivering every line, it wouldn't work, which is something that we'll be getting into when we're discussing this film's legacy. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it reminds me of um, something that uh, the animator Mo Willems wrote in an uh, introduction to uh, Peanuts Collection. Where he's just talking about the main attribute of the characters that he thinks works the best is that none of them seem to understand that their misery is hilarious. And I think that works for Charlie Brown, but it also works for Airplane. <laughs> There were lots of production details about this film that I dug up. This is a very, very uh, well-regarded well film, which means that there's plenty of retrospectives about it. One thing that struck out to me is that the beginning of the film, actually, one of the parts I think is the funniest is that there's this intercom uh, exchange between this uh, woman and man telling people to, you know, oh, not drop, know. yeah, not drop people off on the red zone and the white zone, and it just devolves into an argument over, over whether or not she should get an abortion. <laughs> And apparently Zaz auditioned a whole bunch of people to be those intercom people, but they didn't find anyone with a proper, like, delivery. So they just tracked down the people who did the announcements at L.A.'s International Airport and had them do it. Probably made their day a lot more interesting. Okay, so with that, let's uh, let's go into the cast. We couldn't stop ourselves from talking about Leslie Nielsen already, but... uh <laughs> he, he is the best. He had been a character actor for decades coming up to this point, uh, but this is his first major comedic role. He had said that he'd always wanted to do funny movies, but this is just the first time it came up. He always joked around on set. Uh, for Airplane, he brought along a whoopee cushion and just snuck it around and kept tricking people into sitting on it all throughout the shooting process. <laughs> Which seems like the sort of thing that happened in a movie like this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Leslie Yilson is also um, the dad in Prom Night, which is a follow-up to Halloween with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. But he's not funny or dramatic in it. And he's not even the killer. I mean, he's the killer in his segment in Creepshow. Yeah, that part was... But he's funny there, because you can't help but laugh, because it's Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, he's also the lead astronaut in Forbidden Planet, which, like, he's 35 in that, and I'm not used to him looking that young. <laughs> this changed his life forever. Uh, he kept doing non-comedic films for a couple of years afterwards, you know, Prom Night, Creep Show. But um, after starring in The Naked Gun in 1988, uh, that, that was basically his path going forward. And uh, he, he never came back from that. He was just playing the Dopey President in Scary Movie, and that's that, that, that's what he did. I mean, in addition to Mr. Magoo, which I'm sure is terrible, 
I liked it when I was eight. <laughs> I probably would have liked it when I, if I was eight when I saw it. I, I, I recall him being in a James Bond parody called Spy Hard, mostly because Weird Al was the theme song. He was also in Superhero Movie, which was a terrible like parody movie by the same people who did Scary Movie 3 and 4, but it was just bad. He plays the um, the uncle character, and he has like a really great line in it where he says like he's like I love you like like just like your father did. I even slept with your mother like your father did. It's just he's the only good part of that terrible movie. Every every actor in this film is just expected to deliver nonsensical bullshit with a complete straight face, and Nielsen is better at it than any of them, and that's probably why that just became what he did for the rest of his life. Yeah, and he also does the funny, you know, rule of three, where when he says, like, I just wanted to say, good luck, we're all counting on you, and he says it two more times after he says it the first time, but because this is comedy, he has to do it three times for it to be a running gag. Yeah, and the third time is after they successfully land the plane in the dangerous past. Oh, he's clearly not paying attention to what's going on. Yeah, uh, I'd say the next uh, most important performance in this is Lloyd Bridges as as Steve at the control tower. Once again, this is a guy who didn't really have that much comedic experience going in. I mostly saw him in westerns on his IMDb page. He looks like a cowboy. Yeah, well, one of my favorite running gags is when he's like, I picked the wrong week to quit doing something or other, and it just right. becomes, yeah, it just becomes more excessive the further along it goes, until in the last t- five minutes of the film, he's just tripping off sniffing glue. <laughs> that, that's not as iconic as Don't Call Me Shirley, which nobody expected to catch on the way it did. That's apparently the iconic line of the film. People love puns. Samuel Johnson called them the lowest form of humor, but he is wrong. <laughs> He's not wrong. I remember reading a study about brainwave patterns, and they did one with people hooked up to, uh, you know, a reader as they told various types of jokes. And, yeah, it, it takes no effort whatsoever to tell a pun. We, we laugh at them because they're dumb. The the two leads, who kind of get buried by everybody else. Yeah, you know, I've seen, like, gifts of Ted Stryker, you know, sweating profusely, but I didn't even know that there was a female lead in this movie. Uh, yeah, their names are Robert Hayes and Julie Haggerty. Uh, Julie Haggerty is, like, still working, although I, I see her mostly in voice roles. Yeah, this is kind of a repeat of Caddyshack, where, like, the stars of the films are ostensibly the teenagers, but Rodney Dangerfield and Chevy Chase and Bill Murray and Ted Pierce are in it, and yeah, they're gonna steal all the good lines. Yeah, the freaking gopher is more important than the teenagers in Caddyshack. Speaking of character actors who steal every line that they give, it's time to talk about Robert Stack. Yeah, you know, I was watching it, I was like, why does this guy look so familiar? And then I was like, oh my god, it's the Unsolved Mysteries guy. If you're over the age of 40, Robert Stack's most prominent role to you is playing Elliot Ness in the Untouchables uh, TV series, which I've never seen. Anyone who's a millennial or younger only recognizes that deep, dulcet tone from uh, from Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, like, even the point where people don't want to watch the episodes where he's not the host. <laughs> okay, uh, for those of you who are, like, super-duper young, Unsolved Mysteries is kind of uh, an America's Most Wanted type of 2020 pastiche show where they present you, you with uh, this sort of unsolved mystery with a cheesy reenactment, and they, you know, like, call in if you can solve the mystery. And it had caught people. It caught uh, Family Annihilator uh, John Lit, because he was on Unsolved Mysteries. 
So we can thank Robert Stack for his service. Thank you for your service, Robert Stack. And also for your deadpan performance in this film. Once again, everyone talks about Leslie Nielsen, and I think Lloyd Bridges is underregarded, but Robert Stack is definitely underregarded for his contributions to the airplane. Yeah, the scene where he uh, walks to the airport and beat, beats up all the religious people, that's been turned into a meme lately where people are punching various aspects of coronavirus mania, like toilet paper, quarantine, it's only the flu, and it's just, pow, beating people up. <laughs> also, for those of you who are, who are super young, like, back in the day, religious uh, fundamentalists used to hang out in airports and just harass people for, uh, for donations. They put a stop to this, like, when I was a small, small child, but, um... Oh, really? Yeah. I was gonna say, they stopped it after 9-11? I mean, I do remember getting that airplane support, and, you know, I am a 90s child, so... But, uh, any, anyone who's even, like, a little bit younger than me, that was never a thing. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, I have no personal memories of that. This is just something I've gleaned from just pop culture osmosis. Mm. Like, oh yeah, the Simpsons complained about that. Did that ever happen? Hey, it did. But yeah, another factoid about Robert Stack just walking through the line of like Buddhists and Hare Krishnas and Jews for Jesus and Scientologists and just decking them without breaking stride is that he apparently did that scene in one take. Good for him. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's not exactly a ballet dance, but there's some choreography going yeah, on. Yeah, he flips over some guy's back. Okay, uh, now that the cast is out of the way, let's delve into some of the wider themes of this, as we've discussed a couple of times already. The structure of this film is just never-ending fire hose of gags. Just puns and jokes and one-liners and visual gags. They, they say that uh, someone's calling it the Mayo Clinic and there's pillars made of mayonnaise jars. Nobody looks weirdly at it. There's no stopping. There's no breathing room at all. <laughs> and even for the most part, the jokes are still funny. Uh, I think the one character who is annoying is uh, the campy gay guy. Oh, yeah. I was going to bring up the campy gay guy if you didn't. We're eventually going to get to the part of talking about Airplane that if there are baby boomers listening to this, they're just going to groan and like, oh, now the woke millennials are going to try to ruin the comedic classic by discussing the dated jokes and stuff. But, you know, there was, a, there was a period in the 70s up until far too recently where just a fey effeminate gay man was just instantly hilarious, even if he didn't tell any jokes, which this guy hardly does. He just kind of ruins things. I mean, I think that he could have been a funny character if he was given some actual material to work with. Airplane just assumes that swishy gay man is enough to make you just roll in your chair laughing. Yeah, I mean, honestly, though, this movie's aged far better than some other, you know, zombies from a similar time period. You know, Blazing Saddles, even though Blazing Saddles is funny, but you, it's very hard to remove it from the context in which it was made. I, I think aside from the song and dance scene at the end, I, I think a Blazing Saddles holds up pretty well. I mean, but... there's the part where the, where the sheriff tells all the black guys that they're dancing like a bunch of Kansas City, you know, what? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Are we going to talk uh, about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Oh, yes, because Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is in this. I didn't realize it because I'm more familiar with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as an older gentleman and not as a basketball player. Like, one of the things he's done within the last few years is that he is a huge fan of Sherlock Holmes. So he wrote a Sherlock Holmes novel that follows Mycroft as a young man who doesn't know what to do with his dumb baby brother and has a love interest in 
solving mysteries. I think it's cool. Yeah, that is an interesting gag in Airplane uh, that hasn't aged super well. Is this that um, the main deal with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar playing the co-pilot is that they bring this little boy up to the front and he's, he's, he's all excited to be in the cockpit, but he just breaks character. He's like, hey, you're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. The assumption that he's just such a famous celebrity that you cannot buy him being anybody else, which is, yeah. I mean, Kareem, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is pretty prominent by the standards of long-retired athletes who are usually, you know, thrown into the dustbin as long as soon as they're not, you know, physically able to entertain us anymore. Like, he's still visible. He still does stuff. He's still a celebrity, but I'm used to him looking like he's in his early 70s. Yeah, same. I mean, I think as a, an actor, sorry, an athlete acting in a movie by himself, his role has aged far better than O.J. Simpson. <laughs> uh, yes, O.J. Simpson making gun movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Jabbar's presence alone was was mandated by um, apparently in Zero Hour, uh, old NFL player called Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch is playing the co-pilots. They're just like, oh, let's get a pro athlete to play the co-pilot. Yeah, and, and one of those like throwaway gags that everyone's just stone-faced on is like when um, when the sick Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is lifted out of his chair and brought onto the ambulance. He's wearing his Lakers shorts underneath his uniform. And knee pads. My God, is that man long, though. Like, he's a giant. I mean, I've seen, you know, him fight, you know, Bruce Lee, which is just like, damn, that must have been some interesting choreography. But that man is so tall. I say this is someone who's five foot two, and everyone is taller than me. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a giant man, even by the standards of professional basketball players. <laughs> And yes, he was he was good buddies with Bruce Lee, who um, apparently taught him kung fu. He said that Bruce Lee is the main reason why he was able to play professional basketball for 20 years, which is a ridiculous length of time without sustaining all that many injuries. But yeah, well, one of the reasons that uh, Jabbar is so contentious in the film is that he had a reputation at the time for being difficult. As it was then, as it is often the case now, uh, difficult when applied to black athletes generally means he speaks his mind when asked about stuff and just isn't cheerily complacent about uh, entering into professional sport and feeling, you know, lucky that he's able to get through with it. He, you know, converted to Islam, which pisses off a lot of people who are probably your dad's age. <laughs> and he uh, boycotted the 1968 Summer Olympics over civil rights. This led a lot of people who were like, you know, roughly my dad age to uh, talk endlessly about how much they hate Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I went through his history trying, expecting to find something militant. And it was like, no, no, he's just a Muslim guy who said stuff about civil rights in 1968 that, you know, has aged very well. He's been completely vindicated in everything he said and done about that. Yeah, you know, 1968 was a pretty crappy year, often considered. As the uh, Colin Kaepernick thing from fairly recently has reminded us, to a certain segment of uh, the American sports audience, there is no proper way to discuss such contentious issues in a way that won't offend them. They will move goalposts, pun intended, and find some way to have a problem with it. However, we are digressing the shit yeah, again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all right, all right. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure everyone here is listening to us because we're funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel hilarious. Okay, um, now we get to talk about this film's legacy. Uh, for one thing, I don't think a show like, say, Family Guy would exist if Airplane didn't. Just the whole idea of Family Guy is just this never-ending sequence of pop culture references instead of actual jokes and constant cutaways and, and gross-out humor. That's that's very much in the Zazz role. I would be shocked if Seth MacFarlane disagreed with me. Yeah, and I can kind of see why Scary Movie 3 and 4 had Leslie Nielsen 
come on as the president because even though I will say that the jokes are not of, well, the same caliber as the ones in Airplane, Fury Movie 3 and 4 is very similar in the pop culture references, endless jokes about literally everything. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Zaz were involved in Scary Movie 3 and 4. I believe the first two were the Wayans Brothers, but yeah, yeah after they'd gone to the Wayans Brothers well a few too many times, they you know brought in somebody with experience in the format. And uh, to date, that's the, that's the last major thing that Zaz were involved with. Hmm. Interesting. Getting into it, they they tried to, um, after Airplane uh, succeeded and the Airplane sequel did not. They had nothing to do with it, though, right? Uh, they had a little bit to do with it. You'll see their names in, like, the minor technical aspects of it. But, yeah, Air, 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 Airplane 2 is not a good movie. Yeah, the first airplane has this lightning in a bottle thing. So many things about it worked that would never work again, and that is just ably demonstrated in its follow-up. Mm. But they tried to get a uh, pop show parody uh, off the ground on television. It didn't quite work out. So in 1988, they did The Naked Gun with uh, Leslie Nielsen. Which... <laughs> And Ricardo Maltavon, who's who's just phenomenal as the bad guy in that. It is easily the best thing that the, that Zaz were involved with that wasn't that wasn't Airplane. Yeah, I, even I think I never watched Airplane like as a kid, but I did watch The Naked Gun as a child because on TV at my grandparents' house, and literally the only part of it that I could remember for years until I watched it again is the scene where Ricardo Montalban gets run over by the uh, what is it? Uh, the steamroller yeah, steam and then the marching yeah. band yeah. and that you just keep piling it yeah. on yeah i mean but that made quite an impression because i was like five and didn't watch the movie again until i was like 17 so a lot of similar films came along um the first, uh, the first thing I saw that had any Zaz involvement whatsoever was not Hot Shots, which is a Top Gun parody, but Hot Shots Part Deux, which involved um, Charlie Sheen going into the jungle and fighting Saddam Hussein. <laughs> and it involved him, like, firing a chicken out of a crossbow into a guy's heart. And it's a very stupid movie. But I was nine, and, and I thought it was the bee's knees. Yeah. I mean, I, I, haven't, I haven't gone back and watched it again because I'm probably not going to like it, and that will just break my heart. Uh, another film that they did uh, well after they had gone to the well far too many times was uh, something called Jane Austen's Mafia, which is um, a parody of mob movies, mostly structured around The Godfather, but uh, Martin Scorsese's Casino was a recent film at the time, so there's a lot of references to that. And once again, I think I was like 11 or 12 when I first saw it, and I thought it was super funny, and I'm probably not going to feel that way now. How is it even connected to Jane Eyre? Uh, Jane Austen. Jane Austen? How is it even connected to Jane Austen? It's not. Okay. They just... <laughs> They just threw Jane Austen in front of it because they thought it would be funny. Like, you saw Airplane, it's 87 minutes of throwing every shit they could think of at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was going to be kind of like, you know, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which is the only good Jane Austen meets Monsters book ever, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. The absolute last thing that uh, either of the Zucker brothers or Abrahams that have been involved with that I know of is uh, something in 2008 called An American Carol. Oh. Yeah, it was directed by David oh. Zucker. No, I, I'm groaning because I was almost uh, made to watch that movie. And it's garbage. Not even a cameo by John F. Kennedy can make me watch that movie. <laughs> so you've heard of it. Yes, I have heard of it. 
Okay, well, for those of you who um, who haven't heard of it, because lucky. <laughs> you are lucky, and I'm about to ruin that. Okay, this is uh, playing into uh, David Zucker's belief in neoconservative ideology. Uh, Basically, it takes um, Michael Moore, the uh, director of Roger and Me and Bowling for Columbine, who was, you know, a major anti-Bush critic at the time. This is very, very topical reference for 2008, and did a parody of A Christmas Carol, where he is awoken at the night by three spirits, uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, <laughs> uh, General Patton and uh, George Washington, who teach him to abandon his anti-American propagandizing and embrace our country, right or wrong. It's like discount Michael Moore, like someone who looks like him. If I was Michael Moore, I would have sued the pants off of him. <laughs> he was played by Chris Farley's little brother. Uh. And actually, I, I did run into Michael Moore's re, uh, reaction to it. You know, say what you will about him. I'm not a Michael Moore fan, even though I usually agree with a number of his thesis statements. Same. I do think that uh, he's sensationalized. He's overly sentimental. He's mawkish. And I don't think his arguments are made with intellectual honesty. Granted, his opposite numbers on the other side of the political spectrum, you know, Dinesh D'Souza and Dennis Prager are... <sighs> Yeah, they, they, they basically engage in the exact same shit, and they're a lot more mendacious about it, but that doesn't excuse Moore. However, Moore does have a pretty decent sense of humor. I think that's one of his saving graces, and he mostly just shrugged at this movie, which is the appropriate response. Yeah, I, I almost flopped in front of that movie, and I remember watching a trailer for it, and Bill O'Reilly is in it, and honestly, Bill O'Reilly is garbage. <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't have been a controversial thing to say in 2008, let alone now. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, his uh, star has rapidly fallen. I mean, that being said, the, the, the film was made for no money. It made even less. It got bad reviews across the board, which David Zucker was expecting because, you know, the liberal elites control Hollywood and all the critics are liberal, so they're going to hate the movie anyways. However, conservative critics didn't like it. They found it, they found it pandering. They found it kind of uh, insulting that they would be won over by, you know, a succession of fart jokes that, that that had pretense to supporting their agenda. Yeah, I mean, honestly, why did they have to pick John F. Kennedy? They should have just had Richard Nixon come out and just uh, into the microphone. <laughs> I, I, I think your Kennedy fangirl is showing. Hey, you know what? He's the most interesting president, in my opinion. My favorite president, because he did his job right, is Abe Lincoln. I mean... There isn't any other correct answers to that question. All right, are we talking about airplanes? <laughs> yeah, we're talking about. Well, we're talking about just the, the diminishing returns of the Zucker Zaz Enterprise oh, following yeah. airplane success. Because I mean, how many times could you make that work again? Just the airplane was a miracle, really. And, and how many there were? How many Naked Gun movies were there? There were three. Three. Okay. I actually, I kind of like the other two. I've never seen them. I've only ever seen the first one because, well, I was sick one day and it was on Netflix. Yeah, I mean, one of them has a Jurassic Park parody called Geriatric Park, where, like, a, <laughs> a giant old person kills a guy by just stopping him with his walker, which is dumb, but it makes me laugh every time, which is <laughs> what, like, 80% of the jokes in the airplane do for me. Mm, I mean, I, the one, I always remember the, the scene from uh, The Naked Gun where uh, Leslie Nielsen and uh, Lisa Marie Presley, right? Mm -hmm. or, uh, no, yeah, it is Lisa Marie Presley, right? Oh, God, that's going to drive me nuts. I think it is. It's not Priscilla. 
Oh, he wasn't in videos Priscilla Presley. Okay, all right. Well, we're going to have to double check on that. But then they, they make love wearing giant condoms that cover their whole body. It's like raincoats. That also <laughs> makes me laugh every time I encounter it. I'm never proud of myself, but like, I, I laugh. Believe it. I believe in safe sex. So do I. <laughs> Also, uh, in addition to an American Carol, uh, David Zucker directed Basketball. What the hell is that? Oh, you don't know what that is. No. Okay. <laughs> it's the second uh, live-action feature for Trey Parker and Matt Stone after Cannibal the Musical. Okay. And it's the first major project they took after South Park turned into, like, the hot young couple around. And it's not very good. I saw it as like a 13-year-old who was... Your target audience. Yeah, and who, who, you know, (laughs) couldn't stop talking about South Park with anyone who would listen to me. And (laughs) it didn't really work all that well. I wanted to like it so much. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, everyone's career goes through changes and maybe you shouldn't try to do the same thing over and over again. Is that the lesson? I don't know what the lesson is. Maybe the lesson is, you know, just be thankful for what you got. Because, I mean, most people don't get a grab of the brass bat ring and the, the, you know, the Zaz Enterprise. They got one good snag and then they, you know, they got a couple of TKOs. I'm mixing my metaphors, but there you have it. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a remake of Airplane, correct? I, or at least something that looked like a comedy that took place on an airplane. I swear it must have come out in like 2000, early 2000s. Are you talking about Soul Plane? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> I've never seen Soul Plane. Yeah, get me neither. I just remember the poster. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe everyone thought it was bad and, you know, a couple of like, you know, African-American think tanks uh, wrote articles about how condescending it was. And I've only ever seen one scene that's where the it's where the stewardess lands the, the, the plane with her butt. That's art right there. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so uh, I believe that's everything I wanted to talk about with yeah, airplane. I, uh, I can't think of anything else. I mean, I guess Otto, Otto was pretty funny. The fact that he has different facial expressions and apparently likes to smoke cigarettes after getting blown, both figuratively and literally. Yeah, yeah, getting back to things that I laugh at, no matter how ashamed I am of it afterwards, (laughs) just, you know what's going to happen. Yep. You you know exactly how it's going to roll. You see everything coming, (laughs) which by every law of comedy means that the joke isn't going to be funny to you, but it's funny to me. And I have run into people who don't think Airplane is funny at all. Mostly it's people who find the straight face deadpan to be a turnoff. I think that it it works here. Once again, the alternative is to have, like, everybody just wink at you while they're telling the jokes. And that's basically what they do in, like, you know, the scary movie uh, franchise, your epic movie, your your date movie. Just every unwatchable piece of crap that rips this off. Yeah, um, I walked out of epic movie. And scary movie 3, I think, is actually enjoyable. Scary movie 4 is something I will watch because I watched it a lot when I was a kid. And my cousins and I watched it to torment each other because we know all the jokes. And it was the only movie we could agree on to watch. Mind you, there were usually seven of us in a room, so there's a lot of opinions. So yeah, getting back to the central thesis, what do I think this movie is trying to do? It's a comedy. It's trying to make you laugh. Yes. Do you think the movie did this? Yes. In my case, yes, it did. So watch this. You can skip Jane Austen's Mafia. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Good night, everybody. Bye.